This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts 15 today, so let's take a closer look. Friends, I'm excited about this one. I am excited to talk about this one. Um, Acts 15 is a very... um, it's a very important moment in the book of Acts. Mm. And because the book of Acts is a very important book to the trajectory of the Christian faith, this is a monumental moment for who we are meant to be as Christians mm. on the same level of the cross and the resurrection and Pentecost mm-hmm. as on the same level as the Exodus out of yeah. Egypt, like uh, all of the, on the same level as those acts 15 should be handled mm-hmm. because it is when the church gets together, the leaders of the church get together and make a determination of how Gentile people have to act. Mm-hmm. Let's do this. So excited. Acts 15, verse 1. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. So circumcision of any Jewish male on the eighth day becomes like a massive identifier of Jewishness Mm -hmm. so much so that I think it's very odd that Jewish men show up at uh, Jericho. uh, Yeah. Jericho for Rahab. And she identifies them as Israelites Mm -hmm. when we're told biblically, forget what everybody other, what all the other stories are telling us. Biblically, we're told that circumcision is the sign of the covenant of Israel. Yeah. And she identifies them as Israelites. Right. So what that tells us is nobody in the ancient world except Israelites got circumcised. And so that, that becomes this huge like, cultural identifier that the Jews want to continue in yeah. because it ties it back to Moses or to Abraham, sorry. And they tie it to salvation. Remember, mm-hmm. so don't miss that this is what we would now call like like a non sequitur. This is not a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they put it on the same level as salvation. Mm-hmm. This is like tertiary or an ancillary issue in a conversation about salvation right. today, and yet they're putting it on par. Mm-hmm. So note that we as Christians faithfully progress beyond the Bible. Mm-hmm. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas are like, hey, yo, you better check yourself. Yeah, they fighting. Yeah. No, what, is, what does the text say? No small dissension and debate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, homeboy's got a little rowdy, I think. I, I, I'm imagining a bunch of men 
pounding on a table yelling at each other about this? Um, well, my guy Paul is a man for the theatrics. Uh, mm. They're probably standing on soapboxes or ah. like little pedestals across the street from one another yelling yeah. at each other with a crowd. Yeah. Um, but... Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. Notice the specification of Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Remember last, uh, or at the end of 13, we saw that transition at the rejection by the Jews. Right. This focus on Gentiles. So the others of the covenant, the outcasts, mm -hmm. the people that are not supposed to be here. Yeah. Those people. Yeah. Okay. Got it. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees, okay, I want you to note this. I want you to understand that this is in the book of Acts, and these are believers. They are identified as believers, and yet these believers are still equally identified mm -hmm. as belonging to the sect of the Pharisees. Yeah. Okay? The people who killed Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You've got believers that are somehow continuing to be connected to empire. Mm -hmm. Okay. To power, the thing that you're not supposed to be for. Yeah. But some believers who belong to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. So Clayton. <clears throat> As a modern reader, mm -hmm. what do you hear when the Pharisees say that? I hear some guys standing up saying, yeah, cut these men's penises off. <laughs> cut these the tips of these men's pee-pee. <laughs> um, and tell them that they need to live exactly this way, even though it has nothing to do with their culture. What, yeah, you and I hear the same thing. What I hear is, um, self mutilation and dictation. <laughs> I hear, I hear that, um, these people have to live the way that I think they should. Yeah. And that I believe that I have enough power that I should have voice in how they live. Yeah. Verse six the apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the <laughs> message of the good news and become believers. I'm so sorry. Um, I tried to make it through. I tried to make it through without laughing. Every time I read that, I cannot not laugh. <laughs> Why is that funny, Clayton? <laughs> Peter is saying, I'm the guy that Jesus said is the rock of the church. I'm the guy. And you not. should listen to me. But he's not. Huh? He's not, though. That's essentially what he's saying. No, dude. What he's saying is, my brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles 
mm. would hear the message of the good news and become believers. That's not necessarily about the church. Mm. Peter's not making that up, I think, when he's having that conversation with Jesus. He's trying to absorb Paul's mission. Paul is the one we were told is supposed to be the instrument oh, to the Gentiles. Oh, but Peter should be the one. Peter is doing the I typical see. Peter thing. He's trying to steal Paul's thunder. I see. Yeah, I can't help but oh laugh. Oh my god. I cannot help but laugh. I've never seen that before. Okay. Heard. Hear the message of the good news and become believers. Verse 8. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what do you hear in this? You have a people group, and you have a people group of so-called insiders, and a people group of so-called others. Mm. I hear Peter saying the same thing he said like three times now. Which is what? Which is that they are no different than us. He it's has human. said that like three it's times. The other, whoever you think the other is, mm -hmm. is a human first. Mm -hmm. They're a human before they're another. Mm -hmm. And that flipping matters. Mm-hmm. So, continuing on. He makes, so he focuses once again on this idea that he makes no distinction mm -hmm. between them and us. So, the most heinous other to a Jew in the ancient world was a Gentile who ate pork. They wouldn't even eat with them, bro. Mm -hmm. The only thing worse is a Samaritan. But by and large, they do not want to associate with Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Think about Ezra and Nehemiah. Got to get them foreign women out of there. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't, have, you can't have intermingling. Like, it is a very proud people. And Peter says, the leader of this new movement says, three or four different times, no distinction between them and us. <clears throat> Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? So even they can't keep up with their own law, right? Mm -hmm. And yet these people wanted to impose it on them. Keep, keep that. Now, therefore, uh, why are you putting to the test? Uh, verse 11. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Mm -hmm. So we got 100% equality. Mm -hmm. Now, verse 12. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. 
This agrees with the words of the prophet as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen from its ruins. I will rebuild it and I will set it up so that all other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord who has been making these things known from long ago. Now note, that quotation is from Amos chapter 9. There is no reference in Amos about the ways in which Gentiles must convert in order to be saved. There are other prophets who also talk about salvation of the Gentiles, but they're always conditional upon some note of conversion. Amos is the only quotation that's recorded in um, the New Testament referencing the prophets that doesn't have a conversion uh, attached to the repentance. Verse 19, therefore, I, James, have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. So this argument here is, I've decided that we should leave them alone, but we should send them a letter and telling them that they need to act like this. And he roots it in tradition. Now, you keep verse 20 up. Clayton, read verse 20. But we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. I don't, you know better than anybody, I don't trust translators. Yeah. I don't make it a big deal most of the time because most of the time it's not a big deal. Mm. But here it is a big deal, okay? Because people will try to weaponize this text mm-hmm. off of this one verse yep. in the way in which it's commanded, okay? Yep. Here's what I want you to understand about this. If I were going to translate this verse... What I believe it would say is, but write to them that they must abstain from defilement Mm. um, and from defilement of the idols and the porneia. What did it say in the NRSV? Fornication. Those are not the same words. No. Those are not the same words at all. No, they're not. Porneia is... Do you want to use your your, uh, famous uh, (laughs) definition? Sex things that are bad. Sex things that are bad. Yeah. Um, What does that mean? Usually... If you were going to look historically across the Bible and what the heart of what's trying to be accomplished there, it's sex that does not involve objectification Mm -hmm. 
or exploitation. Yeah. That's what's not pornea. Right. Okay. And to the the strangled things or things of things of strangling um and note i also want to i also want to note here that we have like manuscript issues mm-hmm. in this verse people are adding and taking away this idea of strangling here so there's fighting over what should be in here in our earliest manuscript. We got four mm-hmm. manuscripts that we kind of rank everything off of. And in text criticism, they're ranked by A, B, C, and D. A, the earliest, B. And they're they're done named after cities or different ways of where we found them. But D does not have this strangling language in it. Hmm. And then it says, uh, and the blood. And from blood. What the f- hell does that mean? Well, remember, you're not allowed to eat blood. Right. Right? And there's certain blood you have to abstain from. Mm. And you're not allowed to touch people of blood. Right? right. You can't touch people who have open sores. When women are menstruating, they got to go outside the city walls. Mm. Like, these are people who are deathly afraid of blood. They do not like blood. They also use blood... As a way to reference death, mm-hmm. the blood spilled, the blood on your hands, mm-hmm. those kinds of, right? God and his covenant with David says there's too much blood on your hands right. to build my temple. Right, right. Um, these are a people who, blood is not a good thing. And that's why blood sacrifice is like a reversal of the bad thing. Mm-hmm. And that's, God requires this sacrifice because the blood is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, w- one of the things I want to point out, and I'm going to read something from Willie James Jennings here in just a second. If you didn't know, I have about eight commentaries that I read almost every week. Uh, and I, well, let me say, I read almost eight, all eight of them every week. Uh, and Willie James Jennings is my favorite. Clayton, here's what I want you to realize. These men just had a very important conversation and decided the future of an entire people that was anyone other than themselves Mm -hmm. without giving them a voice in the matter. Yeah. Not once. Yep. Willie James Jennings pointed this out for me and I want to read you how he says it. Unfortunately, It has gone unnoticed by too many readers and commentators on this scene in Acts. The Gentiles are there, but not there. Spoken about, but not spoken with. This is a scene of the Gentile in theory, not the Gentile in reality, in conversation, in reciprocal and mutual interaction. How could there have been mutual interaction and reciprocity at this early stage? Would that not have been premature, problematic, or even impossible? The danger with thinking pragmatically at this moment is to normalize this absence. The church has been guilty of just such normalization. We have too often imagined ecclesial deliberations about others in abstraction, even if they have been boldly boldly present. 
even if the words spoken are good and accepting words, as long as those whose turn who those words turn bodies into objects, they have not yet reached their intended goal. What is the goal of James's words? They seem to be aimed at removing impediments for communion. What should be the goal of our words? The goal must be communion and joining. The church in many instances and in places is yet caught in the moment of objectification of others, the other in theory. We have normalized this privileged position and failed to see it for what it is, a step in the right direction that yet lacks the full humanity that must be realized in Christ. So a delegation is sent to the Gentiles with James's words, and the Antiochian saints rejoice at this word of inclusion, but the real joy is what comes after at the place where humanity appears in communion. There is time together. Judas and Silas and Barnabas and Paul are there together with the Christians in Antioch and the church of Jerusalem with the church in Antioch, Jew and Gentile. Recommended life gives way to real life. They made a decision about a people group because they objectified them. Mm -hmm. They turned them into a number. 100% turned them into a number and didn't care anything about their culture, didn't care anything about the way in which Jesus and the message of the gospel or the Holy Spirit had revealed revealed themselves to them, mm-hmm. only cared about dictating how they acted. Mm. And what did they tell them to do? Let's boil it down. This is not very hard. The NRSV says that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. The rest of the chapter is them actually sending the letter and them all fellowshipping together after the fact. And I just read from the actual um, letter. Clayton, do you remember um, in Romans 14 when Paul has a conversation with some Jews that are in the house churches in Rome about whether or not they can fellowship with Gentile believers who eat food sacrificed to idols? Yeah. Do you remember what he says there? Not exactly, but essentially like, do that. (laughs) He's like, it it doesn't matter. Yeah, do that. It's just food. Yeah. So you already see Paul disregard what they say here later. Yeah. Okay? So I want to point that out. Second, from what is strangled, I'll be honest, I like it in there. I like it in there because it's a like recommendation of death. It's like, it's a violence. It's of exploitation from things that have been choked out. Yeah. Yeah. From the, the strangling thing like the, yeah, it, it really is not, we don't have a way to translate it perfectly into English. And that's why it's worded weird. Even here that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled. Almost it's, like the things that God has strained out. Yeah, well, it's 
it's the things that are bad. It's violence. It's yeah. death. It's power. It's it's all the things. Yeah. And then he says from Pornea. Like the sexual ethic piece here. I don't want to miss mm -hmm. because I do think there's something to this because in the Roman culture and in the Greek culture, um, a great example of this is Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. Julius Caesar, it was written and engraved. We have it countless places. You could probably Google it and it'll pop up. But in so many ancient pieces of literature and documentation that we have, it's recorded time and time and time again that Julius Caesar slept with women for pleasure and men for power. Yep. Sex was a tool of leverage in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. um, the ancient sexuality was very different from like a like a normal modern sexuality. Uh, my great example of this is the way in which wrestling was invented. Wrestling was invented as a philosoph a philosopher's game, and it was done in the in and around the saunas. And they did it naked. Um, sexuality was so different in the ancient world that in some of the pagan temples, the one of the ways in which you went and worshipped was to join and participate in a big orgy. Now, you might understand how that creates health dilemmas without modern medicine and without condoms and all the different kinds of ways that this communicates a lack of consensual ethical sexual experiences. Yeah. Golly. Yeah. If that's your ancient culture, pornea probably is the right word to use mm -hmm. because it's the sex things that are bad. Mm -hmm. It's all of the things in the sexual realm that don't reflect experiences of life. It's the death version of sex. Yeah. So when you put all of these together, what, what has been communicated? In a very timeless way, in a very timeless way, I think what's being communicated is, hey, we want you to be a people of ethic. And I think it was wrong of them to do that without inviting them into the conversation. And apparently Paul thinks so too. Because Paul ends up changing his mind in Romans and telling them to the Gentiles there to eat whatever they want. Yeah. So Paul apparently ended up thinking that it was also wrong that he didn't give them a voice. But I think the basic premise here is I want you to be a people of morality. Mm. I want you to have some morals. I don't want you to be violent. I don't want you to strangle people. I don't want you to cause blood, the thing that creates so many problems in our society. Um, and I don't want you to have a sexual ethic that is experiences of death. God made sex. I think sex is very important. Um, I think sex is, well, the first command God gives the man and the woman in the garden in Genesis chapter one, verse 18 is to be fruitful and multiply. The yeah. very first thing he tells him to do is have sex. 
Yeah. I think that should probably tell us God has some kind of opinion about how we have sex. I'm not necessarily sure that some Jews from 2,000 years ago telling us how to have sex is a one-to-one ratio, um, especially not in the way in which we see Paul continue to change his opinion on several things here. This text is very focal. And if you haven't spent much time around here, one of the things that I feel very called to is pointing out the ways in which the church has wronged people. I'm a student of the church. I love the church. I'm a student of the Bible. I love the Bible. But just because it's the church and just because something's biblical doesn't mean it's not also toxic. Mm. Um, and doesn't mean it's not also good or couldn't have been handled better. And I don't want to overlook those things. Um, And in not overlooking those things, I also want to point out that this is one of the most powerful texts in the book of Acts. Like it is the culminating turning point. Paul is about to turn his jets on and take the known world by storm from this moment moving forward. And in this moment, what I see is I see a people who started real hostile against the others. And I get to a people of progress. And notice, when they start, when they start, in verse 20, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication or porneia and from whatever has been strangled and from blood for in every city for generations past moses has had those who proclaim him for he has been read aloud sabbath in the synagogues they have a moses piece in there tying the law into this when they actually write the letter they tell them what's happened that they've come to a decision that paul and barnabas have risked their lives and done all this good work to tell you this, and they will tell you with the same things by word of mouth. Verse 28, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials Hmm. that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. Notice there's no connection to the law. Yeah. Notice there's no further. It's literally the most basic principles of morality given to them. Yeah. Don't participate in experiences of death, period. Yeah. Don't be around blood. And don't pursue sex things that are bad. God cares about that. We shouldn't overlook that. God uses lots of metaphors Mm. throughout the Old Testament for God's interactions with the people of Israel. Yeah. And God frequently calls them adulterers. Right. Um, So, like, I get the sex element being in there. Yeah. But primarily, I see a people who, in a very short amount of time, came a very long way in the name of progress and I know the rest of the story yeah. 
And I know that Paul continued to offer progress mm. in Romans 14, 15, and 16. I think if there's one takeaway we should take from Acts 15, is it's that we should pursue progress. We should be in pursuit of progress. Yeah. And if we are, here's what we get. Verse 30. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. When they gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When its members read it, they rejoiced at the exhortation. Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After they had been there for some time, they were sent off in peace by the believers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, and there with many others, they taught and proclaimed the word of the Lord. Mm. Um, I think if you are people who can read progress and liberation in the story of Jesus, I think you'll get, as Willie James Jennings says, in the pursuit of life and liberation, you'll get the experience of life and liberation.